This podcast's only purpose is for informational use. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing in the market is risky, and past performance is not indicative of future results. Episode 20 of the Two Cents 20 year old podcast is here. Back with another episode of the Two Cents 20 year old podcast, the podcast where I give my two cents on the things that you should be thinking about when it comes to your money. This one is going to be a continuation of the episode that I posted previously about the 2008 financial crisis. And I'm basically going to go into a little bit more uh, depth about what happened to the stock market, maybe some of the more key players who were responsible for the disaster, and pretty much how it got resolved. Before we go into all of that, though, uh, I was listening to the podcast How to Money, and they were having their listeners send in voice messages of their money wins for the year 2020. And while I was listening to this, it made me think about the money wins I had in 2020. The first money win that you know I can really think of that I had was becoming more serious about my finances I you know I started taking the first steps to learning more and more about uh, money and basically how it could help me because I mean you know I was always interested in money I liked making money but and I, I think I'm naturally I'm a natural born saver but there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know I didn't know you know I knew the basics of investing I'd been investing for maybe two years leading up to that point. But there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know when it came to personal finance. And there's a lot of stuff that I think I've benefited off of learning. Um, So that was definitely my first win. My second win would probably be buying my first car and taking on the monthly payments and the insurance. Uh, This pretty much went hand in hand with my first win, considering that, you know, I basically created a strategy of paying an extra $100 of the principal every month in order to pay it down faster which I learned from a couple of different podcasts, but it's not really, you know, it's common knowledge. Um, you know, if you pay more of the loan, it's going to get paid down faster. But I didn't think that I would ever be doing that until I realized when I started budgeting that I could actually afford to do so. Um, so that's definitely a money win was buying my car. Um, and also buying the car gave me motivation to ask for a pretty big raise at my job and start beefing up my savings account in case of car issues. So all in all, like I said, it goes hand in hand. It's just benefiting my personal finances, the the way I think about money. So I think those are a couple of wins. My final money win for 2020 would be transferring from on-campus schooling to online schooling. When I did this, I saved essentially 90% of what I was spending while I was living on campus. And I was also able to start working full-time instead of only working on the weekends like I was last year, my freshman year. And when I was working just weekends my freshman year, it, was, it wasn't it was hard because I wasn't necessarily spending a lot of money, but I definitely wasn't making nearly as much money as I am now because I didn't, I was 45 minutes away from my job, so I wasn't able to commute. I mean, I could have, but I had classes from 8.30 until around 3.30. And I normally, when I work, I get up at 5.30 in the morning and I work until 2.30 usually. Um... So it just wouldn't work out. Um, But so, yeah, I would definitely say that that was my third money win for 2020. So, uh, yeah, those are some pretty, those are pretty much the money wins I was thinking of at the time when I was listening to the How to Money podcast. And now it'd be awesome if you could reflect on your money wins. What were your money wins for 2020? Did you maybe start saving? Did you start budgeting? Did you start investing? Which is a huge one. 
Um, you know, any anything like that? Did you buy a car? Like I said, did any of that type of stuff? You know, maybe you got some scholarships or grants for college. Anything that you think is a win for you that involves money, consider it, and then give yourself props for it. That's that's what I talked about in my uh, in my cutting yourself some slack episode. You have to give yourself props for these wins. Otherwise, you know, what's the real point? You're just grinding at the grindstone every single day. Um, so now back to the topic. What happened in 2008? part two. So last episode, we discussed basically the timeline of the 2008 crisis, you know, the fall of Lehman Brothers, mortgage-backed securities, people defaulting on their loans, people not understanding the implications behind buying a home, pretty much just the basics of the whole situation. Now, there's a couple of things I wanted to add. Firstly, I wanted to add who some of the key players were in 2008 uh, in regard to the specific investment banks responsible. These investment banks like Merrill Lynch, Citigroup, UBS, Deutsche Bank, Lehman Brothers, and J.P. Morgan were huge players in the crisis with their CDO deals. CDOs are basically bundles of mortgage-backed securities, which are used to repackage individual loans so that investors will be interested in investing in these bundles. CDO stands for Collateralized Debt Obligations, and TheBalance.com includes that these bundles are made up of, quote, Auto loans, credit card debt, mortgages, or corporate debt. They are collateralized because the promised repayments of the loans are the collateral that gives the CDOs their value. So basically, these CDOs were hugely popular and extremely beneficial for the economy leading up to 2007, where people began buying homes just to sell them due to the steep housing price increases. This was also around the time where credit card debt was around $1 trillion in 2008, and housing prices were above the home's actual value because leverage was so easy to come by at the time. These banks sold these CDOs knowing full well that these assets in these CDOs were subprime and that the mortgages wrapped inside of them were at high risk of being defaulted on because people couldn't afford the houses that they were living in. So when these CDOs became less popular and harder to sell, investment banks began selling and buying from each other in order to give the illusion that there was interest in the market for CDOs. Merrill Lynch and Citibank were hugely responsible for this type of behavior, as well as Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan. CDOs became far too complicated to understand and to really put a value on, so people just stopped buying them. And when people stopped buying, investment banks also stopped. And when they stopped, the market had hit a freeze. So while this was happening on September 29, 2008, the stock market tanked leaving the Dow Jones Industrial Average spiraling down 777 points, which was record-breaking until March 2020, where the Dow fell almost 3,000 points in one day. So both of these were one day, and obviously going back to 2008, 777 points, that's really nothing compared to what happened in March of this year, or this past year. I mean, 3,000 points, that's ridiculous. Uh, And this, you know, obviously this all happened because of COVID concerns. So around this time in 2008, the Fed was stepping in in an attempt to bail out the banks that had become overleveraged and had too many of these CDOs and MBSs on their balance sheet, which were inevitably going to bring them to bankruptcy if, they were, if there wasn't government intervention. The government began buying up these subprime mortgages in order to give the banks back their liquidity, or basically cash, and take some of the bank's chips off the table. They also did this with AGI, the insurance giant, by buying 79.9% equity in the company. After denying a previous bank bailout bill earlier in the year, Congress decided to pass that same bill in October of 2008. 
Obviously, this was far too late as the economy had decimated and jobs had been lost. TheBalance.com says, The Fed tried to prop up banks by lending $540 billion to money market funds. The funds needed the cash to meet a continuing barrage of redemptions. Since August, about $500 billion had been withdrawn from prime money markets. But you know, as I said earlier, it was too late. In just the month of October, we had lost a quarter of a million jobs. So the banks get bailed out, but normal people are still hurting even though banks started the fire, threw wood on it, and didn't even call the fire department until the whole building had burned down. According to the NY Times, we lost a total of 2.8 million jobs in 2008, which compared to the 16% unemployment in May of 2020 via the Bureau of Labor Statistics, it seems like a slight inconvenience. But at this time, this many jobs lost, you know, it, it, the unemployment was around 10% at this time. So at this time, it was just ridiculous. Considering this, as well as the fact that around 10 million Americans lost their homes in 2008, this was one of the worst financial crises we'd ever seen in the modern age at the time. 2008 is a story of pretty much everyone being over leveraged and only the people who knew better and who took advantage of those who didn't well, they got bailed out and saw no jail time. People have mixed feelings about how the prosecutions of 2008 ended, but one thing is for certain, when something sounds too good to be true, it often is. So, I, yeah, I mean, I pretty much just wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to wrap up that previous episode with a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, if, if you watch the movie The Big Short, first of all, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of my favorite finance movies. I think I'm going to make an episode on my top favorite finance movies um but i need to watch some more first i i've only seen about a handful of the most popular ones and i think there's there's some little ones that are also pretty highly acclaimed but i'm not a movie watcher the only movies i really do watch are finance movies um so i should probably watch some more so i can make a bigger list i don't want to make a list of like five but i'm getting off topic um the big short so the movie The Big Short uh, has Steve Carell in it, has Ryan Gosling in it, and a couple of other people. Oh, the guy the guy who plays Schmidt on New Girl. Um, so basically, this movie is about 2008. It, it goes in-depth. It breaks it down for people who don't really understand what happened. And, you know, just like myself, I saw this movie maybe two years ago, and it absolutely blew my mind. And I also saw, I think there's a uh, Dirty Money episode on Netflix about this. And, you know, watching this stuff... I was seven at the time of this, and my parents had literally just sold their home when this happened. So thankfully, we got out of it all right, but there was millions of Americans who didn't. So it was like, it's almost hard to comprehend when, you, when you're my age, what this really was and what it did to our economy, to our, to our nation. But the big short, it really breaks it down. Um, they do an awesome, awesome job. There's a reason why it's you know, highly acclaimed movie, one of the best finance movies of all time. Um, you know, Marco Robbie's in it. Who else? A bunch of people are in that movie. It, it, it's so awesome. Um, but if you want to know more about the situation and basically understand well, some other things that I maybe missed or didn't touch upon, I would highly, highly recommend that movie because this is crucial. This is a huge part of our history that people our age don't really know about because we didn't really experience it. I mean, I like obviously think about depending on how old you are. If you're 20 years old, think about back to 2008. So I was, like I said, I was seven. 
I was in kindergarten or first grade. I had no idea this was going on. I had no idea. So it's just almost ridiculous to think about that. While I was in kindergarten, there probably were kids that I was eating lunch with whose parents were either getting divorced over this or going bankrupt or losing their house. Like It's just so unbelievably ridiculous. And for the most part, it wasn't even anyone's, any, any normal people's fault other than the people who paid for multiple houses that they couldn't afford um, and stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, these banks who got bailed out at the end of it and saw no jail time, I mean, it really was their fault. And that's what the big short really goes into it. It does, it adequately points the blame um, at the banks. And, you know, it's not just pointing fingers. They give you two and a half hours of reasons why it's their fault. Um, but yeah, I would highly, highly recommend the big short if you're interested in this topic if you're maybe interested in uh you know mortgage-backed securities and, and any other type of security that isn't popular and you want to learn more about the mortgage market and stuff like that highly recommend that movie's incredible even if you just want to watch a good movie that movie's incredible um but like i said i hope this was informative and i hope it tied some of the loose ends up from last episode uh thank you so much for listening i will see you all again very soon And again, if you have any questions for maybe another question episode, uh, send me an email at 2cents20yearoldpod at gmail.com, 2cents20yearoldpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Searching, I'm so certain that everybody's got a plan for something, but I'm here all up on my own, and I got no place to go, so I'm going on my skate, skate, skateboard, aboard my boat, float to a place where you meet the goat who's not.